commenting on the proper name of Rosh in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 2. Loth, in 1739, writes the following. He says, The Septuagint interpreters, uh, and the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Bible that dates back to about 285 B.C. He says, They take the word Rosh, commonly translated chief, for a proper name. Rosh, taken as a proper name, signifies those inhabitants of Scythia, from whence the Russians derive their name and original. 1739, Loth wrote that in his commentary. That's over 280 years ago. And in 1854, John Thomas, speaking of the Russian Gog, wrote the following, There never has been such an age of conquest as that which will soon uh, open upon the world. And as to the establishment of the European of European freedom and independence, the war to be initiated is the setting in of an overwhelming inundation that will submerge them under one of the most terrible and scorching despotisms that has ever wrung the heart of nations. So, Bible students for, we can say, hundreds of years have looked for this northern alliance to develop out of it that is uh, referenced in Ezekiel chapter 38. And it's an interesting uh, chapter that we refer to on this program often. And it is for the latter days. And it is for the time when um, it, the latter days is referenced in verse 8 of the prophecy. And it is this northern alliance that comes down out of the uttermost parts of the north. Uh, in verse 15 in the RV. Against my people of Israel. Uh, which it says have been brought back. Uh, from captivity or gathered uh, back from uh, the sword. So it's a time when the Jews are back in the land. It's a time when they're back on the mountains of Israel uh, in the context here, and it brings that up in, in verse 8 as well. And this northern power comes against them out of the uttermost parts of the north, led by Rosh, which Loth in 1739 equates with the Russians, and John Thomas as well in the 1800s. And so we look at it today and we think, you know, when we read a prophecy like this, it seems as if maybe it's, is it just us looking at it at, in our day and trying to take prophecies and apply them to our time? And it is simply not the case. Bible students have long looked for Russia to build up in this way. Um, John Thomas also writes uh, in, in, a, in the book, uh, which later would be called the Exposition of Daniel. He writes there uh, in the as an extended um, subheading, I guess you'd call it, Europe chained and Russia triumphant. And that's what he looked for, the day when Europe would be uh, chained down by Russia. Well, it's incredible because although many have looked for it, and many times it looked as if it was going to come about. John Thomas was, you know, he was watching in the 1800s of the Crimean War originally. And it, as the waves of the sea come up, they also, you know, the, the, the tide may be coming in, but individual waves come may come up far on the beach and then sink back into the ocean. But over time, it is going 
only one way, and that's exactly the way we see it, is that Russia is slowly uh, developing into the picture that we see laid out for us. Now, we've, as I say, we've gone over this many times on this program, but over the last week, uh, there's much we could have said in Israel, but we've talked about Israel on this program a number of times over the last few weeks. And really, the things that are uh, are developing on the Russian front are quite incredible when we look at uh, Bible prophecy. Because when we look at the world um, since World War II, and especially in Europe, there really was an East-West divide. You had uh, the Berlin Wall that uh, came down in 1989 that separated Europe uh, from the East and the West, the Russians in the East and West Germany, along with France, uh, Britain, and America uh, on the on on the on the western side. So you have this divide, and even though the Berlin Wall came down, the divide is still an east-west divide, much like the Roman Empire was an east-west divide, and that is uh, still true. Even really to today, as you can see, you've got Russia on one side against Europe. But increasingly over time, and certainly Donald Trump was a contributing factor to this, uh, Western Europe has become more and more uncomfortable with America. And certainly Brexit um, contributed to this as well. So they feel separated from, we could say, the English West versus the European West. And the European West, as I say, is becoming more and more uncomfortable with, um, with certainly America and Britain. But at a time like the Ukrainian war, it is the Americans and the Brits that are almost leading the charge, and, and in fact I would, I would put Canada into this as well, leading the charge against uh, Russia. And Europe... Uh, although it agrees, it agrees, uh, especially we would say Eastern Europe agrees. And Western Europe, though, however, is still a little more uncomfortable with being aligned so uh, exactly with the United States. And it's, and we'll, we'll refer to another article with France tapping the brakes in one way, and Germany also uh very reluctant to get drawn into this uh, into this war, which we can understand. But uh, Zelensky, Vladimir Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, uh, has proved his ability in keeping the aid coming. And slowly, little bit by little bit, Europe is getting dragged more and more into the conflict. So at first, Germany would only send uh, helmets, and now the pressure is mounting on them to send uh, tanks, uh, specifically Leopard 2 tanks, and if not to send them themselves, uh, as they are the one that holds the the cards as to who uh, gets the tank, it's a German tank, uh, to allow others to send them to Ukraine. And they've held off uh, on, send, on letting, not, not only on themselves sending them, but on others sending them as well. So Poland... Uh, is one of the ones that really wants to um, build up the Ukrainian forces with the Leopard 2 tank. 
and Germany was uh, reluctant, although now it seems under pressure that Germany will uh, allow it. In fact, they came out and said, I think it was today or yesterday, uh, they would not stand in the way of Poland sending Leopard 2 tanks. So Germany is, is, is extremely reluctant to get involved, but under public pressure, and in large part from Zelensky, uh, they, are, they are now approving uh, tanks in uh, going there. But it's interesting because at first they said they would only send uh, Leopard tanks or authorize others to if the United States sent its M1 Abrams tank. And if you know about the M1 Abrams tank, it is the United States, it's really their only large battle tank. They have other smaller um, mach- you know, machinery, uh, but nothing on the large tank side other than the M1 Abrams. And the United States declined, saying the tank was a gas guzzler. And it requires a, an enormous supply line to keep it running. And in fact, they said it would be uh, useless in Ukraine's environment, which is, in, which is incredible. That tank is was was uh, brought in in the in, in the beginning of the eighties, so it's uh, forty plus years old, and it apparently drinks fuel like any large American uh, car from that era. So imagine the fact we're looking at the world where America says its one and only large battle tank is useless to Ukraine because. It, they could not keep it supplied. The Americans dodged the questions about why the tank was so inappropriate for the European battlefields. But for much of Europe, this is going to send quite a message because they've relied on the Americans to supply them and to defend them. And in the moment when they're needed the most, America is turning around and saying, the equipment we have is useless. Well, Europe has for a long time, many there, have felt that they should uh, be less reliant on the Americans. And as I said, under Trump, they felt certainly even more so. But in quite the interview, actually, Emmanuel Macron uh, had a few things to say with El Pay, a Spanish uh, news site. And in fact, the interview is available on YouTube. However, it's in French. So if you know French, you can listen to the original. But uh, Alpay also published it in English. So uh, I'm going to read to you from that interview some words from Emmanuel Macron. And he is trying to just ease off on some of the rhetoric against Russia. And he says... I believe that the trigger for this war is a phenomenon fundamentally driven by the crisis that the Russian model is experiencing. Russia, as a power, is searching for itself and looking for a destiny. Well, that's quite the statement. Russia is there looking for its destiny. And he can, in some way, sympathize with it. He carries on, The Russians are a great people. Russia is a great nation. Territorially and historically, 
The ability to survive the period after 1991, when communism collapsed, has been very difficult. When you look at a people geographically, settled in between so many borders, who have been shaken by different forms of terrorism, whose demography is declining, you can see their future is at stake. Russia has made a choice. It is definitely the choice made by President Putin and those who accompany him, although I don't know whether it was the choice of the Russian people. But this choice to wage war in Ukraine is in some way an answer to questions about what Russia is today, what its destiny is. Russia has chosen to answer that question by saying that it has an imperialist destiny, which consists of waging a colonial war against neighboring powers over which it believes it has rights. So I believe that the origin of this war is an existential crisis within Russia. And as we fight for Ukraine, as we deliver equipment to Kiev and sanction Russia, we must keep this in mind and ask ourselves this question too, because there will be no lasting peace if we do not bring our part to, uh, to answer of the, of the, our part of the answer to this question. So Macron is actually starting to justify Russia's waging of war. And it is going to be um, quite the incredible thing, really, when we look at Ezekiel chapter 38, when Russia, re uh, when Europe, sorry, realizes that actually it will need Russia for its defense. And he says later on in the interview, he says, what are the challenges in our societies? And he's speaking about in Europe. What are the fears? People say there's a war, but Europe is also a lever to protect us. We have our national armies, but it's at the European level where we have the ability to act together if we are attacked by a great power. This is why the joint European defense is so popular. This is the main mission of a state to protect. Well, they may want Europe to be the protection, and especially with Brexit, um, Britain was the largest military in Europe when it was a part of the alliance. But it is a major deficiency of the European project is that it doesn't have a proper way to defend itself. It lacks any real army, and in fact, it relies heavily on America. But Ezekiel 38 tells us that it, Russia will be the guard. This uh, this Rosh, uh, it says here, Be thou uh, prepared, and prepare for thyself, God says to this Gog, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. The RV margin says a commander unto them. So Russia is going to take the uh, forefront as the military uh, commander, as the guard over Europe, as you look at who these other nations are mentioned at the beginning of the, of the prophecy, uh, and, in, and including also Persia, as we would know it, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya. And Europe is, uh, Gomer is sort of Western Europe, and the house of Tagarma. And so, it, so we, we have looked, as we could say we have looked, Bible students have looked, for many, many years for the time when this alliance would come together. And there is certainly, as I say, a lack of enthusiasm uh, 
<laughs> a lack of enthusiasm that Europe has, and certainly France has, certainly Emmanuel Macron has, to be, as he calls it later, a, a vassal of the United States. And he says this question has not been fully answered, whether he wants to be a vassal of China or the U.S. I believe that the answer lies in a sovereign Europe in economic, technolog technological, and military terms. In other words, a Europe that is truly a power. So he sees uh, and desires and dreams of this great imperialist uh, Europe that can defend itself. The only problem is it can't defend itself today. And... Although Russia looks extremely weak on the battlefield, they have weapons that even America now uh, does not have an answer for in some of their um, ballistic, uh, hypersonic ballistic missiles. So, this with the Abram tank, with Germany's reluctance to send any tanks for fear of getting dragged into another Euro into another war. On the, con into, on the continent, and America standing up and saying their tanks are useless for the battlefield in Europe is just quite an incredible um, situation. And in the end, in Emmanuel Macron's um, interview, at the end, he is asked a question about something he said previously about not humiliating Russia. And he says... Uh, he said, is that what you meant? And he says, yes, absolutely. You can't change the people and you can't move the geography. You can fight against leaders, ideas, and projects. We are doing so resolutely, without ambiguity. But afterwards, it is necessary to know in the long history that is lived alongside people who are your neighbors to find ways and means to build peace. But this will happen in due course. When, when people were saying that we must bring Russia to, the knee, to its knees at the start of the war, that's when I spoke about not humiliating people. I have shown with gestures and deeds that France stands alongside, alongside Ukrainian resistance, but we must always maintain the ability to dialogue. And so they want to limit the uh, humiliation of Russia. Well... Russia also would like to limit the humiliation of Russia. And so now, Dmitry Medvedev has been coming out and threatening nuclear war again. And the question is, what will Russia do if pushed into a corner? Russia's on the offensive, and today Ukraine is on the defensive. Russia is pushing uh, forward in Bakhmut. But the question will be, if, um, if Europe... And America, and now America is saying, well, maybe we do have to send some tanks, even if they're useless. Uh, what, will, what will Russia do in retaliation? And we do know, in the end, somehow, the picture of Ezekiel, 8, Ezekiel 38 will come to pass. That of not an east-west divide, but of a north-south divide. And Europe will finally come under the protection of Russia. It may seem almost a far cry from uh, what we would see today or could imagine. And yet, um, Emmanuel Macron wants to ensure the door is not fully closed. Because really, the question will be, would he prefer to be a vassal 
of the United States, or actually, of Russia. And if anything, Bible prophecy tells us it will be that of Russia. And so, we look to these things, you know, our, you know, Bible students have looked for years for the Jews to go back into the land, and they are there. They've waited for the Jews to go back to the mountains of Israel, and they are there. They've waited for the Jews to live in peace and safety on those mountains. We don't see it yet, although we see incredible moves toward peace with the Abraham Accords, which are continuing to develop. But this with Russia coming together with Europe, although it seems that there's a war there, somehow this picture will develop, and it only means that as we see these events moving forward, we are closer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us again this week for the Bible in the News, and please come back next week for another edition. Take care.